let's look at the life of Jesus. Jesus certainly was. And so Mark chapter 4, we'll start reading in verse, uh, in verse 35. It'll be on the screen for you. It's on the Restore Church app. Uh, if, you're on the, if you're on version or have the Bible app, you can search under the live events and you'll see Restore. And you can read with us here. Verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. The disciples and Jesus, they're together and they're experiencing the same kind of chaos that you see in the videos as people bum rush the doors of Target. There's a buzz around Jesus. Jesus' ministry, it really is just beginning. We're in the very beginning stages, but people are starting to hear about him. He's gone into the temple. He's disrupted some teachings. He's changed water into wine, and most of y'all say amen to that. He, um, he, he's got people all around him. They're trying to press closer and closer and closer. And Jesus makes like the worst move that any pastor can do he puts his disciples and him on a boat and leaves. Now, think about his disciples, though. They're experiencing this for the very first time. Uh, he comes to them in their ordinary life, and he says, hey, come follow me. And, and just as most Jews would do with a rabbi, they're like, yes, I'll, I'll follow you. Let's, let's try this out for a time. Then they start to see, hear his teachings, see that there's proof that he is God, and they're like, man, we are all in. Especially when the attention comes and the notoriety comes and people are paying attention to the disciples. But it's like, I wish Peter would have just stopped Jesus because Jesus could immediately have the biggest megachurch ever and the first megachurch ever right there. But he doesn't. He and his disciples get away from the chaos of the people into a boat. Now, I just want you to watch, as we read through this story, the disciples, their actions, try to get into their mindset a little bit about how they would experience this. Remember, this is really just the beginning for them as far as following Jesus goes. So verse 37 tells us that a furious squall came up. I like that word, squall. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Um, Jesus, uh, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And so, parents, here is a good example that you can take a nap while chaos is happening in your home, and everything will be fine. <laughs> and you're like, you don't know my kids. Okay, maybe. Squall, the word squall. The, the New Testament was written in Greek, and so it's been translated into English for us to read. And so squall, it, it's a word for just a furious wind. Jesus uses the same word at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he says that there's a house built on sand, and when a furious wind comes, it will knock it down. So picture a wind strong enough to blow down a house. It's also the same word that comes up when it talks about Jesus or Peter walking on the water to Jesus. And when he steps on the water, they're in the middle of a storm, a furious 
winds are all around him. And then Peter begins to sink when he takes his eyes off of Jesus. So the disciples are in this boat with Jesus and the wind is furiously blowing. So much that the Bible tells us that the waves are crashing over the sides of the boat. Now, for some of the disciples, this is not a problem. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, they have on their, you know, John Deere waiters or whatever, you know, they got on there. They're, they're, they are accustomed to this. They are fishermen. Being on a boat and letting a storm pass. I mean, being in the middle of this sea, storms popped up all the time. So we'll just hunker down. We'll do what we've got to do and let this storm pass. They know that the, if they just withstand it that it'll go over. You know, sometimes the only way to get through something is just to get through something. Until the disciples realize that the boat, the Bible uses the word, swamped. That is a North Carolina term. The boat is swamped. Man, my boat was swamped. Every other time in the New Testament that this word is used, it's translated filled. A man fills a sponge when Jesus was thirsty on a cross and they raise it up to his face. One man uses the word in the New Testament to describe how he wants his house. Invite the people so that my house will be filled. Maybe most... Um, maybe you might notice this one the most, the prodigal son, he runs away, spends all his money, he's hungry, and he longs to fill his stomach. This is not a puddle on the poop deck. This is an ankle deep in salt water with no signs of a storm blowing over. The disciples' uh, rain boots are full. And what is Jesus doing? Meanwhile, Jesus, God himself, who had an active role in creation, including the waters and the winds, he is inactive, doing nothing. What is the Savior doing? He's not saving, he's sleeping. He's got his head rested on a cushion, the Bible tells us. And this is what obedience gets you? Disciples decide to follow Jesus. And it was all great when he was turning fish, you know, a happy meal into, and, and he supersized it. But then when they're on the boat, and it's starting to turn upside down, you begin to wonder a little bit, don't you? Jesus, I, I don't think this is what it was cracked up to be. Jesus, I, I didn't anticipate it being like this. Following Jesus is hard. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's easy. It's simple, but sometimes it's really hard. You know, a lot of us, at some point, when we came to know Jesus, it was awesome. You know, the attention was on us, and it felt great. I remember I was 13 years old, and I came home from a week of camp, and I decided, man, Jesus, I'm going to give my life to you, and I was baptized, and it was awesome. People came up and hugged me. Uh, one guy gave me money, and I was like, can I do this again? You know, people took our family out to eat, and that never happened. This was awesome. People were checking to see, you know, maybe this happened to you. Maybe you were baptized at Restore Church, and, and you celebrated with your life group. People were always checking on you, man, how are you doing with your walk, or, or, or how's your family, how's your relationship with God? But eventually, 
that goes away. Look, it, it's easy to be the one. But once you become the 99, it becomes difficult. It's easy to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you when, the, when the, the miracles are there. But when you're on the boat and it's upside down and the waves are coming and your ankles are knee deep, you might be like the disciples wondering, where's Jesus? Oh, yeah, Jesus. He is on this boat. I mean, did the disciples forget? Or maybe they just didn't know. I mean, this is early on in the ministry of Jesus. So maybe they just didn't realize. Either way, the disciples' focus is where? It's on the squall in the swamp. <laughs> it's on the wind and the rain. Um, and I think you know exactly what I mean. Their focus shifts to the storm. There's this guy in history, his name's Horatio Spafford. He was an evangelist in the 1800s, and, and I'll read you this story. Um, uh, four years old, their son, Horatio Jr., died suddenly uh, in the late 1800s from scarlet fever. Then only a year later, in October of 1871, a massive fire swept through downtown Chicago, devastating the city, including many properties that were owned by Horatio. That day, almost 300 people lost their lives, and around 100,000 were made homeless. Despite their own substantial financial loss, the Spaffords sought to demonstrate the love of Christ by assisting those who were stricken with grief and in great need. Two years later, in 1873, Spafford decided uh, that his family should take what British people call holiday vacation uh, in England. N knowing that his friend, the evangelist D.L. Moody, would be preaching there in the autumn. Horatio was delayed because of business, so he sent his family ahead of him. His wife and their four remaining children, all daughters, 11-year-old Anna, 9-year-old Margaret Lee, five-year-old Elizabeth, and two-year-old Tanetta. On November 22, 1973, while crossing the Atlantic on a steamship, the boat, uh, th their vessel was struck by an iron-sailing ship. 226 people lost their lives that day, and the boat sank within 12 minutes. All four of Horatio Spafford's daughters died, but remarkably, Anna Spafford, his wife, survived the tragedy. Those rescued, including Anna, was found unconscious, floating on a plank of wood, subsequently arrived in South Wales. And upon their arrival, Anna immediately sent a telegram to her husband, including these two words, saved alone. Can you imagine receiving a telegram like that? Maybe that's been real life for you especially in this community. Well, you may have not have lost four children, um, but suddenly you know exactly how the disciples are feeling because you're in the thick of it. The winds of anxiety are blowing all around you and you're chest deep in depression. Your brain is literally at war with itself and you're praying to Jesus while he's sleeping. The winds and the pressure of, of work are swirling. Meanwhile, at home, your desk gets flooded with bills that are past due. And Jesus, he's asleep. In your home, 
the words that you use between your spouse cut quickly like a cold wind. And they're more than just squalls. There's underlying, there's this underlying uncertainty that drowns the both of you. And Jesus, he's napping. Overwhelmed? Maybe it feels like Jesus to you has also checked out. You're tired? Apparently so is Jesus. Because he's nowhere to be found on your sinking ship. It's almost as if he doesn't care that we drown. The disciples come to him and say, don't you care that we are drowning? It's kind of easy to see why the disciples took their eyes off of Jesus. Sometimes the storm is just too much, isn't it? Exactly. But they did wake Jesus up. Verse 39 says this. Uh, Verse 39 says, uh, he got up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, quiet, peace, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do uh, Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obeys him. I mean, we read this story, and we've probably heard it. If you've grown up in church, you've heard this story, and so it kind of like falls in the background of our mind. And, but could you for a second just be on the boat? And this like storm is going crazy. You've done everything you could do. You've probably thrown things off the boat. You're, you know, you got like a, a bucket and you're like throwing water off. And like, well, let's go wake Jesus up. The Bible says that he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves. What a strong word. The only real translation for this word really is rebuke. So when you read, I mean, this word is used all throughout the New Testament. But every time it's used in the New Testament, it's Jesus doing it. Jesus is rebuking someone or or something like the wind and the waves, except for two times. The word is used twice outside of the life of Jesus. In Timothy, Paul uses it, um, Paul says that the Bible, God's own breath, is to be used to rebuke and encourage and to admonish. Who's doing the rebuking? It's it's God, not the teacher. It's God's word that does it. And then again in the book of Jude, it refers to a scene in Moses' life where Moses says, the Lord rebukes you. It's almost that it gives this connotation that only God can do the rebuking. If you think about the winds and the waves, it only makes sense that God could do the rebuking. Um, I've always thought of myself as an athlete, but one sport that I was not and have not and will never be good at was basketball. I could dribble with my right hand, my left hand uh, just didn't do anything. Um, And it wasn't obvious to me though, you know? So here's this poor kid out there, well at least he's trying, and I was like, I got everything. I had like four armbands on each. One year I had finger like bands. Those were things. Rajon Rondo had them, so I had to get them. 
Um, and I was awful. Well, I heard when Carmelo Anthony was in college and, and he would go out for warm-ups that if he had a bad shooting experience in warm-ups, he couldn't hit any shots, he would go wash his hands and that would fix it. So, here I am. We go out for warm-up and of course it's terrible because I couldn't hit the broad side of a barn with a basketball. And so I am... Uh, I go in half. I go in right before the pregame, and I know what to do. I tell all my friends, just watch. Uh, well, watch. I sat on the bench the rest of the game, but I washed my hands. And then you go out for another pregame, and you want to know something? Washing my hands didn't work. There's just some things you can't fix, like a broke jump shot. There are some things that were never meant for you to fix. Wouldn't it have been crazy for the disciples to stand on the edge of the boat and say, shut up, waves, be still, waves, stop. I'm sure they did say it, and it never worked. Why? Because they have no power over the winds and the waves. Um, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I'm not easily provoked. No, that is not a challenge. I'm just telling you. Uh, but have you ever just had enough? Uh, generally in my house, I, I start pretty calm, but eventually you just have enough, you know, and so this is how it goes in my house. Hey, easy, 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 easy. You, if you've been around, you hear me say a lot. Easy, easy, relax, calm down. Hey, let, let's chill out a bit. All right, hey, I'm, I'm starting to get serious, and then, you know, my, my daughter, are you being serious? Yes, all right, now I'm being for real, and then eventually it just gets like this. Enough! And everybody, including my dogs, which is perfect, they freeze. A couple weeks ago, we had life group, and uh, life group was over. And uh, one of the girls, we were just talking, and she was telling a story. And my dogs are in their kennels, and they're going crazy. And with no warning, I just yell, enough. And I turn around, and this poor girl's just frozen. She's like, I thought you were yelling at me. Um, Jesus, he gets up, and with that same ind indignation, he's angry. And he yells to the waves, enough. The Bible says he got up. Your translation might say he arose. Uh, I, I like to picture him on the front of the boat, Titanic style. And he yells this word, he yells, Gemao. Can you say that? Gemao. One, two, three. Gemao. Yeah, that's just a good word. And here's what it means. I'm giving you this to, to use on your kids. Gemao means literally to shut up with a muzzle. <laughs> Jesus stands on the stern of the boat and he says, Gemao. And with anticipation, we wait for Jesus to barge into our lives. And to scream at our anxiety, gamao. To look at our depression and say, gamao. To seize all of our doubts in him and say, gamao. To quiet our soul with gamao. Just be still. And again, in the position of the disciples, one day everything is great. You decide to follow Jesus. He seems trustworthy. He does a miracle or two. Wow, this guy really must be this, the disciple. I think I'll follow him. And then the crowds begin to show up. Yeah, th this is great. And then he puts you on a boat and he says, let's travel to the other side. And you believe him. 
You believe that you're going to get to the other side, and then the winds stir up, the squall comes, and then the swamp starts, and then the other side seems to be so much further away than when you began. And now you're in a storm, and you can't get out of it. Why would God allow me to experience such chaos? Why would he let me go through what I'm going through while he's asleep at the wheel? So that we come to Jesus and say, God, I can't do this. It's so that we can allow him to come into our lives and say, Gamao, because there's something you just can't fix. So are you in the middle of chaos? Are you seeking peace? Here's the foundation of peace right here. If you're going to take any notes, if you're going to hear anything I say, if you're going to write down anything, it's this. Invite God into your chaos. And allow him to, to yell, Gamal. It's what demonstrates, it's what builds up our faith so that in the midst of chaos, we can prove our faith. And Jesus doesn't come to us saying, do you not have faith still? Um, we, we like to be practical here at Restore. I mean, th- these stories are great, but if, if, you don't know how, if, if we don't know how to put into practice today to strengthen our faith tomorrow, it seems kind of uh, irrelevant to me. And so we try to be real practical. And, and so how do we invite God into our chaos? These are going to be really simple, but the first thing that I'm going to encourage you to do that our culture is very bad at is to invite other people into your mess. Um, we say it regularly that we, we enjoy the mess. We like the mess. We, we encourage the mess. Don't, don't check your baggage at the door. Uh, it's messy in here. And, and the best thing to do is to take on that mess together because you can't do it alone. After the storm, the disciples did it together. The beginning of the church starts with the disciples all in one room praying. You think that maybe when Jesus was off getting something to eat, the disciples were there. It's like, dude, do you remember? Do you remember him standing up and yelling, Gamao? Here's, the other, here's another way. You can read scripture. Now, I know that this gets old to say, read your Bible. But what I love about the Bible is it tells real stories about real people, and it doesn't hide anything. David, man, he saw some real storms in his life. Jeremiah, he's known as the weeping prophet, and a lot of people think he suffered from depression his whole ministry. Elijah, we read about him a couple weeks ago. Peter, Paul, all of these people. All of these people were in the middle of chaos. And so you can read it, and you can... You can, um, like, identify with these Christian people, some of it just because of storms of life, but some of it because of their own sin. And if I can relate with anything, it's that I get myself into some situations that I'd like to get out of, but sometimes you make your bed, you got to lie in it. And disciples are, are in that. Uh, David, he goes through that. But again, like I said, sometimes the only way to get through it is just to get through it. The second thing is prayer. And this is the real invitation. We just finished a series on prayer, and if you're new to Restore Church and, and you want to listen to that, it, it's on our podcast. But that's, that's the best way to invite God into your chaos is just to pray. 
I didn't quite finish the story with Horatio Spafford, and so uh, I like to finish that story. When Horatio heard the news that his daughters had died and that his wife uh, had made it with that telegram that said, uh, saved alone, like any good husband, his immediate reaction is, I've got to be with my grieving wife. I gotta be by her side. I have to love her and encourage her and just hold her. And um, so he he gets on a boat and and he like he sails for her. Well, in the middle of that trip, uh, an attendant on the boat comes up to Horatio Spafford uh, and he says, "Hey, I just want to let you know that um, that this right here, where we're crossing over, is the spot where the ship sank." And Horatio Spafford, uh, he wrote these words while crossing over. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot has taught me to say, it is well with my soul. The end of that hymn, it is well, ends like this. My sin Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought that my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul, it is well with my soul. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the same story. And the point of this story, it's not the storm, it's, it's not even the disciples, it's Jesus. And that he has the power to stand on the boat and to calm the winds and to calm the waves and to say, peace, be still. And he has the same power to do it into your life too. Uh, I want to tell you the end of that story, they make it to the other side. And so if we can just keep the promise of God, the promise of God that there is one day, uh, there is one day in eternity for us that is the other side. It is well with my soul. Will you guys pray with me? God, we are just um, thankful for you. That we're not alone in chaos. That we're not alone at all in, in loneliness or, or thought. God, we're thankful that, uh, and you have that kind of power, that gamao power to, to calm whatever raging sea is in our life. God, you have so, uh, so much strength, uh, an omnipotent God. So, God, can we ask you for a moment just to, uh, to flex, God, to show up, wake up, and, and, and just be present. But God, if it's chaos that we have to go through, <clears throat> that draws us closer to you, then be still.
and the right time show up. We want our lives to be all about you and nothing less. And so uh, in this moment, God, we want to be still and know that you are God and that one day there is an other side of the sea. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Around the sides of the room, there are... Um, there are stations for communion, and we do this every week together. And really today it's a celebration that Jesus went through the storms himself. He, he died on the cross uh, so that we didn't have to. And that he rose from the grave to give us hope. A hope that there is another side. A hope that while we're in the storm that there is a through it. And that he's made that way. There are crackers, and they represent Jesus' body. Um, and so we take that as an as a emblem, as a remembrance, and as a celebration that he gave his body for us. There's a cup, and, and it's just juice, but it represents his, his blood that washes us brand new. It gives us, uh, washes our, sleet, our slate clean, not in, not in parts, but the whole. Um, and so in a minute, we're going to ask you to get up and, and gather and, and get it and bring it back to your seat and take it on your own time. Um, take it as you will. Uh, but really for us, it, it's such a significant moment for the Christ follower. In this moment, we're going to ask you to pray. Um, you, you can ask for prayer through our Restore Church app on our website. Or, or we've got members of our prayer team that are here, and they, they'd love to pray with you. But, but maybe for you, this is a moment where you need to ask God to wake up. Maybe you need to stir him a little bit and say, come on, man, I'm tired of going through this storm. Maybe you just need to ask him for peace while you're in the middle of it. Um, but in all things, re really, uh, you know, we, we want you to celebrate communion. We, we want you to go to God in prayer. Uh, and our heart is that you make decision for Jesus. Now, you may have already done that. And so right now, it's, it's not a moment where I'm like, hey, I need to get baptized again. But it, it's a moment where I need to dig deep and say, man, I, I'm tired of trying to take on the storms myself. God, I'm going to submit to you. And so maybe that's the decision you're going to make today. But maybe you are. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been working on you or God's been working on you to finally just stop fighting and to give your life to Jesus. I'm going to be right back there, and I love to hear from you. Um, and every time in the Bible someone gives their life to Jesus, they're baptized right away. And we want to do our best to be like the first church. And so if that's you, if baptism's your next step, we'd love to hear from you also right back there. Hey, you might be uncomfortable with communion. This might weird you out. It might not be something you're into. That's okay. We're not going to pressure you into that. And if you're not a Christ follower, maybe this isn't uh, the best, best thing for you to do. Maybe you just want to sit and think about what it would be like to follow Jesus or, or for him to take away your sin or for him to calm your storm. But, but for us as Christ followers, man, this is such a monumental moment for us each week. Um, and so uh, and if you've done this with us at Restore Church, can you lead the way so that our guests, uh, so they can follow you? Let's do that now.